And those rooms, a lot of times, you are the only Black woman. You are the only Latina. You are the only one who didn't come from a family who like has owned homes and had wealth for a hundred years. So you have to teach yourself. Hello, grown girls. Welcome back to the Girl We Grown Now podcast. I am your host, Victoria, and I'm so happy that you all are back and tuning in this week. So I have an exciting interview for you all today. I really do feel like I have been doing a ton of interviews, but I have been connecting with some of the most amazing women, and I just get so excited about sharing their stories and their expertise with you guys. So here we are with another interview. So today's interview is with California native Val Emanuel. She is a model, an entrepreneur, motivational speaker, and founder of Riff Care. So Riff Care is a newly launched BIPOC female-owned and operated period care brand of hemp fiber, all-natural, biodegradable menstrual care products. And it is the first of their kind in the US market, and they are providing a safe alternative to personal care, which is something that I think is so important to talk about because most of us have our periods every month, and if not, we have them multiple times a year. And it's really important for us to know what we are putting on our bodies and in our bodies. So during this episode, Val and I talk about some of the products on the market that are toxic and why she felt it was necessary to bring something that was organic natural and just non-toxic to the body. We get into just her journey as an entrepreneur. She also provides some tips for people who are thinking about starting their own business or brand. And we just really dive into all the different things that go into being an entrepreneur and running a business. And I love how transparent she is. She truly is someone who just hustles and works her butt off and she has so much tenacity and so much grit and truly it was just inspiring for me to listen to and it really just got me even more excited about my own entrepreneur journey so I really hope that it has the same effect on you all as well without further ado let's go ahead and get into the conversation with Val I love to start with an icebreaker question so what is the best life advice you've ever gotten that you still apply today nothing is personal I think that's probably the biggest one and someone was like, if someone came up to you and said you were ugly and punched you straight in the face, it wouldn't be about you. And I was like, wow, okay, take that everywhere with me. Yeah, that is really good, especially just with you having your own brand. Like, I can imagine that that's a really key piece of advice. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just with everything. But if someone leaves you a negative review and you take it personal or, or you want to redo your entire brand and, you know, we've done thousands of sales and I think we've had like three negative reviews, they get to you, but you can't let them because otherwise it just throws you off course. Yes, I love that. And that's so true. So I learned about Rift Care online and then I went and found you on Instagram and I saw that you also have a modeling agency. So is being an entrepreneur something that you've always wanted to do? I think being an entrepreneur is something that I felt like I, I had to do. When I was a kid, I had so many different ideas. Like there's so many companies that exist now that when I was a kid, I thought of, I was like, mom, we're going to create this fitness machine and you're going to be able to do this and this. And then I grew up and I see like people and I'm like, that's so cool because my brain was just always so creative. My mom and dad were entrepreneurs and first generation American. And so I think I just always saw them doing things. And I got my first $20. I flipped it. I bought some Doritos, sold them, and then got some fruit roll-ups, covered them in Kool-Aid, sold those. I sold Pokemon cards, a bunch of other things. I was always that kid. Wow. So basically this is in your DNA. Like you were meant to be one. That's amazing. 
I think so. But I think I'm also a good employee. Like I just generally love working. So whether it's my thing or somebody else's thing, like I love being busy. I love the creative mind about the fruit roll. When you say fruit roll up with Kool-Aid, that's very creative. I've never had that. Oh yeah. We covered them in Kool-Aid or like we'd get, you know, the dried mango and like cover it in chili, like tahini. Mm-hmm. My mom's from Panama. So we cover it in all the spices and then sell it. And the kids loved it. Oh my gosh. I bet you were a hot topic back then getting all the sales. What led you to starting Riff Care? So what led me to starting Riff, which is a period care brand, was really my own need to see A, safer products in the market. 90% of the period care that's on the market right now is made from plastic, synthetic materials, covered in bleach, super toxic. And then I saw that there was a lot of organic cotton brands, but it was just like one after another. These brands are coming out and they're all doing the same thing and just putting a new name on it. So with Riff, we make our products with hemp fiber. Hemp is antibacterial naturally carbon neutral. It grows, you know, without water, without pesticides, like so many good things are with much less water than cotton. And also I realized that when it comes to health and wellness, we really need a brand that is completely transparent because even some organic brands can cut corners. So when I was going through my journey of, you know, having a miscarriage, having all this hormone imbalance, it was really like a year and a half of really bad reproductive health issues. I just realized that even some of the organic brands that I was using were not the best. Like I was using seven generation pads at one time. And you look at the packaging and you realize, oh my God, this isn't even made out of cotton. It's made out of cottonized plastic, Mm -hmm. but they put all the nice wording on it and you get very confused. So how can I make a brand that's transparent? That's so true. I got into, I guess, technically the organic pads maybe a few years ago, but it's honestly, I just thought it was organic and grabbed it. Like I never looked at the ingredients. So truly, I don't even really know what I was using. So I think you're right about the transparency. That's really important. But but what like what made you think hemp fiber? Ah, I mean, I'm a lover of all things natural and organic and crunchy, but our pads are not crunchy. I realized that hemp fiber was actually super soft. So my ex-husband's a material scientist and we were living in Portugal at the time when I was having all these issues. So as he was kind of doing his projects with Zara and Inditex and H&M and doing this textile manufacturing for them, I just realized there were so many applications for hemp that weren't being used for whatever reason. Hemp didn't get really legalized until I think 2008 with the whole farm bill. So all this excess that we have now, it's like, what do we do with it? We can make paper, we can make building materials, we can make cotton, we can make so many different things because for all the CBD and hemp supply that we need in the world, we're growing 10 times above that. So instead of burning this stuff or just throwing it in the landfill, why don't we turn it into more meaningful products in the wellness space? And so Riff is just like a culmination of all those ideas. And we finally found a processor who could actually do the project with us. And we're like, we need this to outperform cotton. And they were like, it does in every way as long as you have the right processor. So that's how we ended up using it. Oh, so when I was looking up and like researching your story, I did see that you went to a lot of manufacturers and they told you it's impossible to use hemp. So how did you keep going to find the right processor? Because I can imagine people telling you it's impossible can be defeating at some point. So like what kept you going? Yeah, people are listening in and you want to start a fashion business and you're like, I want someone to make this and you send it and they're like, we can't make that or it's going to be some crazy amount of money. That's kind of what we had. So in 2020, when I had this idea, like I said, I was in a relationship with someone at the time who could basically get anything done. And he was like, I don't really know who can do this at the level that you need it. Because I mean, you can make it, you know, hemp paper, but it needs to be a certain weight and it feel a certain way. You can't just sit on something crunchy, right? <laughs> right. So I emailed a bunch of factories, but I was no one with like a at Gmail address. Like I didn't have a company, nothing. So I emailed a bunch of factories. They were like, we don't have a paper supplier to make this. Then I tried to find paper suppliers and like, we don't make this and we don't produce it. 
And I was like, well, who does? And they were like, no one. But that actually wasn't true. I found out that in Asia, there had been people processing this type of material that I needed for a very long time for different applications like toilet paper, but they weren't really telling people that it was that. So I just needed someone who could spin any vast fiber at a certain weight. And so I found that person and connected them with our factory. And that's how we got our first prototype. But that time I was trying to do it. I made a business plan. I did a trademark. I did all this stuff for like four months and I got all the no's. And so I just dropped it. And then I found out that other people, there was a few other companies that were now trying to make hemp paired products. Somebody was like, weren't you trying to do that? And I had just launched actually Riff, but it, this was Riff pre-Riff, right? So I was just selling like soap and CBD oil. Like I just had this need to, to do another project that was with my hands because I was a talent agent. I was just working via email all the time. So I launched at farmer's markets with just like my sex oil and my soaps and stuff. And then we had made, I think, $4,000 or something in the first two months, which is nothing. But I think something out of nothing is still okay. And then I met an angel investor and I was saying... I'm doing this thing, but like, I really want to make period products. And I think like my company has all this potential to be a non-crunchy hemp company. And he was like, that's a great idea. I want to write you a check. Wow. And he wrote me a check the next day. <laughs> I had no product and I was so freaking scared because I was like, okay, when somebody gives you money, you have to make it happen. Right. And so I, I was like, I want to launch a Kickstarter. So like two weeks later, I was like, I'm launching Kickstarter because I need like 50,000 more dollars. Still had zero suppliers at this point, mm. but I'm telling people that I'm launching the world's first hemp fiber period company with no product. So I got on the internet and I started learning Mandarin because I realized that my supplier was going to be in China. They are the best with hemp in the world. And so I got on like some, I guess you can call it the dark web. Like there's websites that we don't really use in the US. I just changed my IP address, got on them, typed what I was looking for in Mandarin. And I found a supplier who was like literally making exactly what I needed. It friggin' did exist. And so I was like, can you send this to this factory who says that they want to do this project? And then my angel investor gave me a check for that. So I sent it to them. And two weeks later, I had a prototype. This is manifesting though, because I literally put out there to the world, to this person that I wanted to do this project. And it happened within two months, me getting this prototype and getting the money. So I want to back up to the angel investor. So is this like, did you seek out the angel investor or it's just someone you were talking to and they no. happened to be an angel investor? No, a guy in line that I met at a coffee shop that I was nice to and sent him. He was going through a divorce. I sent some books to him on divorce because I was going through one. And I was just wow. being nice. I was just being a nice person. I don't know. I was just being a friend to this person. Mm -hmm. And um, they just happened to be like one of the biggest investors in the world. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's just like, and, and it's also like putting yourself in the right positions to have these things happen to you, right? I don't come from lots of money. I don't come from a family who like has friends and venture capital. Like there's nothing like that. Like my mom worked as a financial advisor, helping people start college funds and things like that and like doing stocks, but like not in the world of it all. Right. So I realized early on when I was like 18 years old, I was at lunch with my friend and her mom. And she's like, you need to study art history because if you get into art galleries, you can level up your life because you'll be around people with money. And then you can kind of get out of the position that you're currently in that you're born into. And so I literally studied art history got jobs in galleries and like started to just put myself in different rooms so that I could meet people like this. Like it's not abnormal for me to meet people who are investors or finance people or celebrities or whatever, because I just had started to do that on my own. 
I love that. And I love that you mentioned that because that is true. Putting yourself in the right place. You can't, like you said, you put yourself in the art galleries, you put yourself in the places where you will meet these people who could potentially fund a business. So I think that was really smart and really strategic of you. Yeah. And I think anybody can do it. I don't think you need to look a certain way. I don't think you need to have a certain amount of money. It's just like, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, I might have a few nice handbags, but 99% of my clothes are from the thrift store. I swear. I just, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to look the best I can and I'm not going to spend tons of money because like I don't take myself too seriously and I'm just going to clean myself up and work on self-development and do all those things. So when I step into the room, I also don't feel as out of place as I am, to be honest. Like in those rooms, a lot of times you are the only black woman. You are the only Latina. You are the only one who didn't come from a family who has owned homes and had wealth for a hundred years. So you have to teach yourself. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that also just thinking it's about how you make people feel like you made him feel a certain way and that probably played a big part into him investing into your business as well i think so it was also like the factory like when i was talking to them it's like when i have these relationships with people like i'm necessarily trying to get something for them just like can we do this thing together how can i help you and like maybe you'll have something for me but i just generally do like helping people and then people will like offer themselves to you as well and like it's just the way the world works i feel like when it comes out sometimes it's like people use each other but we are humans and technically we do need each other So just be a nice person so that you can invite that energy back to you. I love that. So when you got this angel investor, did you have any fear or doubt in the beginning? And if so, like how did you overcome that? Because it sounds like you made your prototype pretty quickly once you got everything rolling. Oh, hell yeah. I was so scared. I was like, oh my God, this person's giving me money and now people are doing this Kickstarter. Because I think I did the Kickstarter like a month after I got the first angel investment. What's a Kickstarter for us who don't know? A Kickstarter is for, it's crowdfunding. So it's basically people not investing in you, but they're pre-buying your product either before it's made or they're pre-ordering it. Or let's say you already have it, but you just need to fund the, the purchase order. So that's what it is. So I needed to raise $50,000. And the shocking thing was like, I put the thing for $50,000. do not do that if you crowdfund, put like a very low amount, right? And like reach it very quickly and then just keep drawing. It was so difficult to get that money. And so some of my friends who actually wanted to invest just ended up putting their investment in there. Like we didn't get tons of people, but I also had lots of people who I knew and didn't know pre-ordering like, two years of product. And I was like, wow. oh my God, product that I don't have. Like, who is this woman? She just gave me a thousand dollars and I don't know her. But yeah, I was really scared that I wasn't going to have anything because the other companies who were trying to do it were doing it for years and they didn't have anything. So why could I do it? But I did believe in myself that if anyone was going to do it first, it was going to be me. That's like the little, I don't know, the asshole in me is just like, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be me. It's not going to be you. I'm very competitive. I will do it first and I will outwork you. I will not sleep. I will not eat until I get this thing done. And that's like probably my dad's like Nigerian, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that is so funny. But it sounds like typically I hear like when you are the person who outworks who you can outwork the other people, typically it does go well and in your favor. So it sounds like you have a very strong work ethic. I think so. When you started this, did you have a full-time job? And if so, like when did you know it was time to quit this job and go all in on Riff? You know what? I didn't have a full-time job, but if you're listening to this and you want to start a business, I suggest you have one. It was a huge, huge issue. So I have my other business, which was Role Models Management. It's a talent agency and it still exists. It's still running and we still make money, but it was always a very small business. Like I think at the the height of it, right before COVID, we were doing like 20,000 in business a week. And I was like, wow, I'm going to have like a million dollar company. And then COVID happened and I literally didn't make money for like months. Then we moved into doing more social media and UGC. And then we kind of moved back into doing jobs, but it never fully recovered. So we've partner with other agencies to kind of like be and be a mother agency, which means our clients can work with other agencies and then we get paid a small percentage. So that brings in like 
tiny bit of income, but honestly, there was really nothing. So I moved into being a creator last year, content creator, which I'd done sparingly, but I quit modeling basically when I started my other business. I was in a relationship with someone where like they weren't comfortable with me doing it. They didn't understand the industry. The hours are weird, all this stuff. And I never do that, obviously. If someone's like, I don't like your job, don't quit because someone doesn't like your job. Literally break up with that person. But I got back into it. And so that's like my main source of income because our business, it makes money, but it's not paying our bills yet, you know, which happens when you, when you have a business sometimes. I don't know if I'll pay myself for the rest of the year. It's like we pay ourselves back here and there, but um, the money has to come from somewhere. Very true. I want to back up. So I know you mentioned that when you, you took four months to make, you said you trademarked, made a business plan, all of that. So can you go into a little bit more about what your process was when you started Riff? Because I know it sounds like you started with oils before you got to the actual period care items, but like what was your process and For example, like with the business plan and the trademarking, is that something that someone should be doing if they're looking at starting a business? Is that where they should start? A hundred percent. If you want to start a business, I'll tell you the five steps that I took before. So number one is just claim the domain and set up a landing page so that you can collect email addresses. That's going to be the number one thing you do. Number two is claim all the names on social media, especially Pinterest. Pinterest is just a great place for people to find you organically without you spending money. It's one of those platforms unlike Facebook and Instagram where like it can grow without you putting in much effort. And also it's evergreen, which means you can start posting content and people can find it a year from now. It doesn't rely on the same algorithms. Number three is going to be to make a very general business plan, which is just like what you want to do with the business, how you want to make money, who's going to be your customers. If you're going to have a business, let's say you're only going to launch on Amazon. You want an Amazon 100% business or you want to drop ship. You don't even want to make your own product. You want to start a Caro store, C-A-R-R-O. And you just want to sell other people's products. So make that plan so that if anybody wants to partner with you or work with you, or if you want to raise money, eventually you just have it. And it doesn't need to have a lot of stuff on it. Number four is I would say set up a newsletter. Even before you have your product, you can start sending people information. So like I said, you're going to set up that landing page and start collecting email addresses. There's things like Flowdesk, MailChimp, whatever. Start collecting emails. And then if you have done all those things and you have stuck to them, then you can go and do trademark and all that other stuff. I don't think trademark is like the most important thing because I have friends with 10 trademarks and no businesses. If you can do all the other things, then you know that you should get a trademark. But I don't think like people get a website and a trademark. And I'm like, for a thing that you weren't even going to really pursue, Mm -hmm. do the other things, have the business there. And I have friends who have inventory who never set up their store, never set up their Shopify. It's like, just do the physical things to sell the product and then worry about the other stuff later. Like you can do a DBA later. You can set up a bank account later. Like unless you're starting a company, you know it's going to be a multi-million dollar company right away, which 99% of companies are not. You're not going to sell out in six months or even the first week or whatever you think. Like these things take time. So just do all the back end stuff and then like eventually learn step by step what you have to do. But those would be my suggestions. Yes. Thank you for sharing that because in my thought process, it'd be okay, website. And then you kind of figure everything out along the way. But it's right. Like make sure you are going to invest the time because it does take a lot of time. And yeah, trademarks are also really expensive. So you want to make sure that it's something that you can stick to and really fulfill before you get the trademark. I think also with a trademark, it's like a lot of times they won't approve it if you're not in market, right? Or it's harder to approve it. So if you show them I have a website with product on there or I have an Instagram and it looks like we have some type of company or look, I printed this box and it has packaging on it with a UPC code, they're more likely to push through your trademark quicker. Ooh, I didn't know that. That's definitely a good tip to know. Mm-hmm. So how did you go about marketing your business in the beginning? I know you mentioned email marketing, but are there other things that really helped 
when you first launched your business? Uh, I didn't do email marketing quick enough. So I would definitely suggest that. So first thing we did, we're selling consumer products, right? So we got a Squarespace website. Horrible. Don't recommend. Oh, really? I would do Shopify. I would do Shopify. They have all the apps that you need. One of the first things we did too was we had a photo shoot. I don't think that every brand needs to have a photo shoot, but I just realized that like we're as far ahead as we are because we look like we have more than we have. You know, like I have production experience. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a friend. But like we had to show people that we could compete with everyone else. I think there's a lot of times where you go to someone's site and you realize like you click off because it looks like they don't really have it together yet. We didn't want to look like that. So I was like, whatever little money I have and whatever friend can help me, I will do that. I will pay everyone. Like I can only pay you 200 bucks, but I can pay you something to help me. One of the other things that the angel investor helped pay for was branding. So I had made my first logo with someone on Fiverr. They did it for like 50 bucks. It was okay but it was not a professional brand. So I took everything I had and I got a marketing agency. They're called uh, Lively, L-E-A-V-E-L-I. They've got a great Instagram and Pinterest if you just want to go look them up and get inspiration. But when I talk to brands who have done really good, they're like, yeah, I gave 20 grand to a branding agency, 50 grand to a branding agency just to pick my colors, fonts, vibe, inspiration, templates, So they did all of that for me and it it was about $6,000 and then they did packaging. That was another few thousand dollars. But the way they set everything up and maybe one day I'll share the branding on my site, they have some on their Instagram. Unless you are a creative that does that for a living, you need to spend the money on that. You need to. It is what it is. So I never have... I've never heard anyone say that, but I do know branding is really important. So they basically do all that for you. You just give them what you're thinking you want and they just make it like 10 times better or 100 times better. It's just like a questionnaire and they take everything out of your brain and put it into the format of like, what would a million dollar brand do with this information? You know? Wow, that is good. Especially if you're marketing on social media, like the visuals are everything. Because when I looked at Riff, I was like, wow, this is so cute. And when it comes to those feminine kind of products, like I do want it to be cute. If I left it sitting out, like it would be fine because it doesn't look ugly or anything. Yeah. So I totally. think that is really important. Yeah. And even with our packaging, if anybody sees our packaging on shelf, it's contrarian to everything you've ever seen in period care. And I thought when I see this, I want to be like, what the hell is that? And pick it up just because I want to know what it is. Like you do this with certain food products, right? Mm-hmm. And also I said, I want our brand to somehow visually represent transparency. And so with our packaging, it is so plain that you're almost confused, which has helped us in some stores. I think in other stores, it has harmed us. So it's like with the packaging, we have to kind of go back again and see how we can add a tiny bit more information while still leaving it so clean that you pick it up because you're like, what the hell is this? Before I started the company, I knew I wanted to do something in wellness. I knew I wanted to do a consumer packaged goods company. So I got a job at Goop, Gwyneth Paltrow's store in Brentwood. I walked in. I was literally at the time like married, drove up, had a Tesla, Birkin bag, whatever, sold my Birkin also for the company because I needed the money. And I was like, I would like to work in this store. And they were like, it's basically minimum wage, but commissions. And I was like, I would like to work here. They're like, why do you want to work here? And I was like, I need to be around this. And I love working in retail because like I love selling people things. I'm a salesperson. So I literally physically worked in the store. It's not like I needed the money, but I needed the experience. So this was 2020, like the year that I wanted to do it, but I couldn't because I couldn't find a manufacturer. And so I'd also suggest that if people want to start something, go work for your competitor, go work for the retailer who would carry you and just quit after a few months, but get all the information you can. Like I worked in that store. I met the founders of the most influential companies. I remember the day that that can 
candle landed, uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow goop candle by Heretic, and it was called This Candle Smells Like My Vagina, sold out. Like I met the founder. She came in the store like every other day and I just got to talk business with her. And she's like a viral creator with her products. And so having that experience was so life-changing for me. I got to see what people are picking up. I got to see sales data. I got to see if people were shopping. I got to see what price points worked. I got to meet all the founders. It was four months and um, it was so important for me starting the brand. Yeah. And that's you again, putting you in a place that you needed to be so that you could eventually launch your brand. So again, it's like being in the right place and being able to take that knowledge gain, just talking to people. Like you said, you got to talk business with a founder who sold a viral product. Like I can't even imagine what you have learned from her. That is really amazing. And it's free for you. You're actually making money while you're doing it because you're working. So brilliant. So what's the hardest part about having a brand? (sighs) I think it's time management. I'm pretty good with time management, but I just don't have enough hours in the day. I'm in my 30s now. When I started role models, I would stay up until 2 a.m. and wake up at 5 a.m. and go to the gym and do all this stuff. I can't, like I have an eight-year-old. I cannot stay up until 2 a.m. anymore. I'll maybe do it like once every few months if there's really a deadline that I've been bad on and I have to meet. This weekend, we had a photo shoot, so I was not really sleeping. I was waking up at 4 a.m. so I could still go to the gym and do all my my normal routine. But it's like I make these huge lists. I have it right here. And then it's like, this is the third page and I need to knock things off of this. So how can I do that? Is that like eventually having an assistant, hiring a finance person? I can't afford those things right now. So it's like the most difficult thing is wearing all the hats and realizing that there are some things that have to be pushed to the wayside. Like that social media, X, Y, giveaway, whatever. Can't do it, cancel it. More important that we move into this retail store and like take this for a trip to go see our new retail locations. Like not interested in doing this other thing anymore. It's a lot of no's I have to give now. I can imagine. So how is it just you or just a couple people on your team? It's me and my co-founder. We're full-time. We have a sales team of about five people. I have a assistant who works on basically all of our social media coordinating now. She's great. And then we have a person who does all of our web updates. So I guess it's like eight people, but two full-time. Got it. So you guys are growing. I can imagine with time management, especially, it's so funny that you mentioned in your 20s how you could literally get three hours of sleep and have a full day. I, I'm 31. So I, as soon as I hit my 30s, I was like, why can I not do this? Because I used to work 12 hour shift jobs. And so I would go out because sometimes I'd have to work on the weekend. I'd go out, go to bed at three and be working a 12 hour shift from seven to seven. But now if I don't get like at least seven hours, I'm a wreck. (laughs) Yeah. Total wreck. Work doesn't make any sense. And your hormones change as you get older. So like, that's why those things don't work anymore. You know what I mean? And you're also just tired of being out here in the streets working like a a slave. I'm like, why are we doing this? (laughs) No, seriously. Because it's like people put these deadlines on you and they don't expect you to really get that much from them. And it's like the way that we have set up people to work and do things is not typically ethical. And so especially I think when I did production and people just expect you to work for free and do so much for free. And it's like, this is unethical and not fair. And this is why I want to do my own thing. There are amazing companies and amazing bosses, but the way that people work each other, especially in the US and the way that we have a system that never sleeps is really not conducive to being a human being. It's not and definitely not for our health. Like I recently did a podcast with a career strategist and we talked about burnout. Burnout is at an all-time high. Yeah, I know too many friends who are burnt out, honestly, me included a little bit, but it's just, you're right. The way that our work is designed here is not designed for us to really rest. And it's like you said, it's not for humans. It's not, yeah. it's not good. No. So I was reading an article and I saw a lot of black women had started businesses. I want to say it was probably after COVID mm-hmm. because they were realizing that that was just 
like a better like fit for them. Yeah. Just with everything that we're dealing with and just like the burnout and everything else. So yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. In your opinion, what are the three things that someone needs to be a successful entrepreneur? Sometimes I don't feel like a successful entrepreneur. So I'll just say that. I Like not everything I've done has been successful. But I think the one thing that you need is discipline. I would say that above anything else is I have a lot of brilliant friends with great ideas, but they're not disciplined and they can't get up every day and do it. Or they, they give up because they've had the business down for three months and I've only made $400. And I'm like, that happens sometimes. That happens a lot of times. The It founder, It Cosmetics, her, she has a book called Believe It and like literally sold her company for a billion dollars, biggest acquisition of L'Oreal. And like she had months without orders. Do you know what I mean? And like $0 in her bank account before she had her big break. So I think it's just discipline and then also tenacity. Just like when a door closes, it's working hard for the next door to open because we cannot wait. Like I know I live in California and there's this whole, I'm waiting for a manifestation and blah, blah, blah. It's not like that in business. You really have to be tenacious and go after every single thing you want. And the no's, you have to turn them into yeses somehow. So like that store said, no, that's fine. We now have inventory for this other store because we're not going to have to supply that store. That's fine. So we have to look at these problems as really opportunities to just grow elsewhere. You mentioned discipline. So a few days ago, I saw something on social media and this guy was talking about how people don't understand the amount of volume that goes into being successful. And it's like you said, they'll do something for a few months and it's not giving the results that they want and they just give up. And he talked about before his podcast got into the top 1%, he had to make 400 episodes. So it just takes time. And like you said, you have to be disciplined. An idea is nothing without execution. So you can have the best idea, but if you don't execute, then it's just an idea. Totally. I love the whole 400 episodes before anything happened. It's the same thing with social media. And sometimes people do get lucky. But like with my Instagram, for example, I've been Mm -hmm. posting on Instagram for years and like I have 13,000 followers. And I'm like, I post great content. I try to help people help themselves. And then I got on TikTok and like it ended up growing much quicker. It was just my time on a certain platform. Do you know what I mean? And my Instagram still may never grow unless I get on a reality show. Like, I don't know what the hell it takes to grow on Instagram anymore. But (laughs) listen, when you find out, please let me know. (laughs) I will will let you know. But not everything is for you also. So sometimes, you know, something doesn't feel like it's working. Like I said, it might be an opportunity to grow elsewhere. It's very true. And I love that you mentioned that because that's important. We have to be able to look at it and say, hmm, this might be an opportunity for something else. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. What have been some of your best learning experiences running Riff? Some of my best learning experiences, I think, have been how to work with B2B, right? I think a lot of people, when you think about starting your company, you're just like imagining your customers and imagining what that's like. But so much of the business that's done, like the things that you buy when you walk into a store or whatever, it's like there's a customer relationship of Riff to the distribution partner or for Riff to the retail store. And like, how does that relationship work? So that's one thing I've learned. Um, I think another thing I've learned is is really how to say no. There's so many people who email me every single day and offer me their services, whether it's as a creator or, you know, as a marketer or all these different things. And they're very exciting, but I cannot say yes to every opportunity. As a matter of fact, I say no to like 99% of things that come through my door because it's a lot. I get bombarded a lot with a lot of requests and a lot of them we cannot meet because they don't make sense for us. 
So yeah, that's just a lot of no's. And also you don't have to take that phone call, right? So people email us, we have this great thing. I remember my co-founder, she was always like, this person wants to have a call. And I would just be like, if people are emailing you for their business, they need business. We need to have someone where we need to contact them. Another amazing founder has been like, my person probably doesn't have any space to take you on right now, but you should try to have a call with them. Like that's the person that I want. And so I was like, these people are just trying to sell us a service, delete the emails. I don't even read the emails. Or I just say no in capitals, which seems like a bitch move but take me off your mailing list. I don't need a 17,000 ROI on this. I know what I need to do and I know the person I need to hire. And when I can afford that person, I will hire them because they are guaranteed to like to work. They've been vetted by another amazing founder. That makes sense. And I think sometimes, especially as women, we can have a hard time saying no. So that is going to be a huge thing, especially in business. You have to be able to say no and know that, as you said earlier, it's not personal. But yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense that you can't say yes to everything or you're not going to get to where you want to go because not everything's a good fit. Everything's a good fit. And it's a lot of wasted time. There's a lot of times too, where I have a phone call set up with someone. I'll go back over our emails. I go to their website and I'll be like, I actually don't need to have this phone call. It's in 45 minutes, but I can't afford to spend the 30 minutes with them on the phone and I'll just pull lightly send them an email and I will decline. And like, you have to do that all the time as a founder. And I used to just sit there and take those calls to be courteous. F that, not doing that anymore. Don't have the time. The 30 minutes could have been spent doing something, you know, like this person trying to sell me some app that I won't even use. Why would I sit for 30 minutes with them? Right. Yeah. I can imagine that just so many things Mm -hmm. come your way. When you look back at your business journey, is there anything that you would change? I know it's still ongoing, but so far, is there anything that you would change? What would I change? I think with my first business, I would have, with role models management, there were so many ways that we could have been ahead of the curve, right? Like when TikTok was starting, it's like we didn't have really like TikTok influencers and stuff. I think that's the reason why like that business, I mean, it could be grown by someone else, but just to be totally transparent, it's just very traditional. There's a lot of agencies that stayed very traditional. And there's ones who kept up with every single platform and hired and did all those things. And we took chances financially and they didn't really pan out sometimes. So we just kind of kept it internal and we're like, we know we can make a certain amount of money with our clients. And so it's just like keeping up with the times. I know you don't want to get on this new platform. I know you don't want to sign up for this new thing. If that's what you have to do in your industry to stay ahead of the times, you have to do it. And then I think with Riff, I would have had Shopify much earlier. I would have had a professional web developer instead of trying to do everything myself in the beginning. Like, oh, it's so much better when you have someone who could just change things and fix things much faster. Like the time you spend trying to learn that, the web developer could have already done 10 tasks. Yes. Creating a website's hard. I have to try it. It's definitely challenging, especially if it's just not your expertise. It's definitely Even with the template, still do it. Yeah. I remember I created one once and I recently tried to recreate one. I was like, I don't know what I did last time, but I guess I had the time, but not this time. So what tips can you give entrepreneurs on how to find balance? This question is hilarious. Um, (laughs) I don't have balance in my life, honestly. It's like I do have to compartmentalize my life. I have to compartmentalize my dating life from my life as a mom until that is, you know, in a better position because like I'm so busy and I feel bad that my daughter doesn't have me as much. And then also we're separated and like, that's a whole nother thing. And then separate those two things from my business because with my business, it's like, I have the ability to go get coffee at 11 AM if I can, but how can I now have a social life and also be a mom? And when I come home, my daughter is here, not be working while she wants to watch a movie with me. Like I do that a lot. When we watch a movie, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I can 
pay attention some of the time, but I have to be on email. And she loves that I work hard, but I can tell it's also really hard for her. So I don't know if it's just like an age thing with her or me learning how to completely separate that part of my life. And then I have this whole other part of my life, which is like wellness. And so for me, it's like, I have to wake up at 4am if I want to work out and make my meals, which I do. It's just my sacrifice. And so if I got to do CrossFit at 5am and I'm one of those people you see running around the block in the dark, that's just going to be me, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I appreciate that you say that because I think, especially with social media, there's a part of social media that talks about balance, balance, don't burn out. But then it's like, whenever I read a story about an entrepreneur or someone who has a successful business, they tend to have worked so hard in the beginning and probably didn't really have balance. So I feel like I really like that you mentioned that because it's kind of conflicting. Like people will talk about, oh, you need to balance. But what's the reality of that when you are starting a business that you're trying to build? You don't have time for balance unless you have so much money that like you can pay someone to help you balance. You know what I mean? Like I have help with my daughter, but it's not very much. Like it's not full time. I still have to be here. I'm not like some angel mother who just gets to lay down and give her a kiss goodnight and like have this dinner prepared and Uber Eats every night. It's like, we can't afford to do that. We have a regular life. And also there's like the whole being a content creator thing now that... I love doing and I've been doing, but it's now my source of income. So even before this, I was like all of my time for the past two hours. I mean, I I had some phone calls and then I had to turn in all my stuff for my clients and then create content for my brand and then go ahead and then edit my personal content for my pages to keep the lights on. You know what I mean? Content creation takes a lot of time. So I admire people who can do all of that because... It definitely is very time consuming. It is. I've got my own content for my brand, which is of course always going to be a priority. And then the content that I just want to put out for fun, which is few and farther in between now, but I want to hopefully raise that this summer. And then the content that I do for super aligned brands. Yeah. I can't wait to see more content because I did check out your Instagram and I do like your content. So I actually have a couple questions about some things that we need some tips on. But what are your routines? It seems like successful entrepreneurs tend to follow regimens that help them be successful or more disciplined. So I would just love to know what every day I wake up at 4.30 a.m. And first thing I do is check if there is a class at my gym. I'm usually out at 5 a.m. and I go to the gym. I get there by like 5.15 and then I, I train according to my menstrual cycle. Like there's a whole, a, oh, I cycle do the whole thinking. cycle thinking thing. So that just depends on what I do. I'm okay. home by 7 a.m. Wake up my daughter. We have breakfast. My sister brings her kids over. We all walk to school together. I try to do all of my phone calls kind of in blocks. I make sure that there's some calls where I'm camera off so I can walk to the beach. I live by the beach in Los Angeles and I try to get 10,000 steps a day. So that's very important to me. I usually have like a breakfast lunch combination so I don't have to cook twice and I just eat all my calories in one big meal. Pick up my daughter around 530 p.m. We usually will walk home and then we have dinner. I'm off my computer by 8 p.m. She does her bedtime and I'm really trying to have a hard out at like 8.30 of no more phone. It's very hard for me because I'm like posting to social media. I'm like saving sounds. Anyway, I'm doing all this stuff, but I always, I work out pretty much every single day. I read the Bible also every single morning when I wake up at 5.40 when I'm kind of like in bed, I'm reading verses or whatever plan I have or inspirational stuff, prayers, sending them to people. So there's like the fitness thing, there's a wellness thing, there's a food thing, and then there's the mom thing. So I'm trying to make sure that all those things have like their different hours of the day and they all get their needs met. Yeah. And I know, I mean, you can speak to this, but I know for me, like when I work out in the morning and I start my day off like that, it really just helps me have a really good day. I feel like it's the best way to start my day. Yeah, totally. So I know you mentioned that you're super into natural things. So are there any apps or websites that you use to help you like find non-toxic personal items like makeup, skincare, perfume? 
things like that? Huh. There are a few blogs that I really, really love. I just made a video on TikTok. I mean, if you go on my TikTok, you can pretty much see like all the brands that I really, really love. But typically it's like, I just try to make the algorithm know me better. So, I mean, you get fed all this different content, but like, what are you looking for? You know what I mean? So it can like serve those things to you. And I tend to not follow people who are 100% aesthetic. I'm following fitness people. I'm following wellness people. I'm following because of like, if that's what you want to be your life, then that's what you need to put in front of your eyes all the time. And I love documentaries like the documentary on Disney Plus with that Chris Hemsworth did that was all about wellness. I've, Limitless, like that's a great one. I, Oh, you I haven't heard of that one. It. it was like things he did, like fitness challenge, ice bath challenge, like all these different things. And so when I learn about those things, I find them very interesting. And then I'll dive into my different books. Like I have my complete book of essential oils here and like digestion, adaptogen. So I try to do my reading. I tend to go to the library, but documentaries and social media and also YouTube. Oh my God, wait, YouTube is like my number one social media platform. I'm not a YouTuber. I have a YouTube channel, but I find most of my health, wellness, mental health information on there. That's good to know. That's one platform that I do not use a lot, but I know I've had friends talk about how much they love YouTube, but I'm someone who I just, I guess I'd rather listen to things. So usually I like put my phone away and I kind of like listen and maybe glance, but yeah, it's good yeah. to know about You can that. tap in there. I think also the community is very engaged because it's not so passive as like a it's Instagram or TikTok, right? You really sit down and like also I find as a producer and an advertiser, when we work with YouTubers, the conversion is so high because the audience is so tapped in to YouTubers. It's a very different platform. Wow, that is really good to know. Where can my audience find you and follow you? And also where can we purchase Riff? So we have a an Instagram at Riff Care a TikTok at R-I-F Care. So R-I-F, just one F. Um, if you go to our website, rifcare.com, we have a retailer's page. If you want to find us in person, we are moving to stores all over the US. We're still very small. We're like in 80 locations now. And then my personal is at Malibu Mama underscore underscore on TikTok as well as Instagram. And I know that you are in Target, which I mean, who doesn't love Target? So I actually placed an order. So I get to finally try. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. Because I'm in Florida, so we don't have it like in store yet. So Florida's going to be in store in fall. We just got into another retailer. So we'll be making that announcement, but we're on target.com. So you can find Riff on target.com. We do that through the Amp Beauty LA platform on target.com. So they lift up mm-hmm. black and brown businesses, women-owned businesses. And yeah, we've been on there for like three weeks now and we're just doing a restock. So that's very exciting. Yes. And I'll reach out to you next month after Perfect. my time of the month and let you know. Let me know. But I'm really excited because I've been trying to find like a really good natural brand that's like better for my body so I'm excited. i can't wait for you to try yay all right well thank you so much for coming on val i really appreciated chatting with you and all the knowledge that you provided so thank, thank you, you so much. great to be on Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. If you really loved the episode and you felt like it resonated with you, be sure to share the love and share the episode with a friend. Also, if you could take a minute and head to the review section wherever you listen to your podcast and leave me a review, letting me know what you're loving about these episodes and which topics you want to hear next. That way, I can make sure that I continue creating episodes that you love. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. Until next week, bye, Grown Girl Gang.